Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Shane Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Hey folks, welcome back to Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Travis Crotty. And I'm Father Shane Demon. And if you listen to the last episode, you'd know that we are recording back-to-back episodes and are still in my office here at the Chancery in Sioux City because Father Shane is home for a little bit. It's good to be back for Holy Week. Mm-hmm. Now, this is going to be helpful because it'll be kind of after the fact a little bit, you know, so people can't like hound, you know, bang down your door and like try to hang out with you. But it's got to be hard when you're only back for a little bit, right? And uh, probably a lot of people want to see you. Yeah, I'm not... You know, I, when I came home from tour. seminary, when I came home from graduate studies, even when I was home for Christmas, I I, I just can't be doing appointments every hour on the hour during yeah. spring break. Um, then it's not a break. No, because I do that all day long in the yeah. seminary. <laughs> and we finish, we started evaluations of the seminarians on February 15th, and we go until April 26th, and we end at 9 p.m. And there's four a night yeah, uh, for 30-minute panel discussions with each seminary, plus the reading of all of their documents. So it, the spring's an intense time. So in the midst of the intensity, I'm curious, uh, you can go as shallow, as deep as you want here. What has been the most enjoyable part about being in St. Louis the last eight months or so? Well, yeah, I would say every priest would probably say this, the the gift of his assignment. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just where you see God's grace flowing and that's where you see relationships building. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the best part. Plus you just wake up every day with an affirmation that Jesus wants me here right now. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just going to be in union with him. So that's Mm -hmm. obviously the best part. Yeah. Um, I love the priestly fraternity. There's nine priests in house at the seminary. It's the most amount of priestly fraternity that I'll probably have for the rest of my life. That was always really impressive for me to see mm-hmm. as a seminarian at Kenrick to see like, mm-hmm. oh, that's something that we can actually model. Mm-hmm. It's not just a nice idea. Right. Yeah. yeah those are the first two things that come to mind. Um, the winter weather has been great because I know you've had a very uh, harsh winter yeah. here. So. It has felt, I just had this sort of realization. We've had a little bit warmer weather and some sunshine now with uh-huh. daylight savings time. And just realizing like how long this winter has actually been, like it started getting cold in November, mm-hmm. late October. And it's just like, it has been a grind. Right. And I realized that eight years in uh, um, Missouri and then one in Denver that actually has a much more mild winter than you'd expect. Mm-hmm. I was like, I got so soft right. and so soft. Like, right. It's been so brutal. I mean, just the other day, uh, whatever, it might've been on April 1st or whenever it was snowed. Right. Just like blanket of snow, and then it all melted. But it's like, oh yeah, of course. Like, why wouldn't I expect there to be snow? Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways, yeah, I miss that a little bit. But yeah. what you're gonna miss out on, what you're gonna miss out on, the fall leaf colors are actually kind of lame in Missouri. I have noticed everything's that. just kind of brown. There's not the variety of colors. You don't get the red maple leaves. You don't get a lot of the the yellows. It's just kind of everything kind of cha- brown, and it's just brown. So. Yeah, they don't have all the other species of trees. Where you'd get like the the blazing maples, you know, and things yeah. like that. So, so we'll we'll, we'll hang on to those while we suffer through another winter. Yeah, um, good Father luck. Shane. While you have been, um, you know, experiencing priestly fraternity and hanging out with with the guys and loving that uh, warm, you know, St. Louis winter, I've been running all over the place in Northwest Iowa as you did for many years. Mm-hmm. Just been seeing lots of people, helping out with lots of different retreats, you know, confirmation retreats. Oh, popping into parishes for. Um, faith formation stuff in the evenings, covering lots of masses on the weekends around the diocese, helping out with different um, adult faith formation opportunities, all sorts of stuff, right? So I've just been talking to a lot of people 
across our diocese. And then here in Sioux City, being invested in Sioux City where I haven't been before, getting to know a lot more people. And I know that it's been a growing reality for all of us over the years, right? Over my whole time in seminary, basically, that pastoral planning has been happening. And then for folks who listen up in Sioux Falls or folks who listen in um, Omaha or folks back in St. Louis who still listen or who listen now, uh, you know that especially right now in those dioceses and archdioceses, the like the reality of pastoral planning is is acute, is felt mm-hmm. acutely right now because it's happening. You know, Sioux Falls assignments and parish pastorates were just announced just a few weeks ago. Omaha's uh, new assignments are, are coming out soon. And those different, I think, families are calling them are, are kind of rolling out as well. And then I, I know that St. Louis is working on that. So I've just noticed that this, like right now more than ever in our diocese, though, and I think as these other dioceses experience it, the feeling of the pre-shortage is is much more acute. It's mm-hmm. it's felt more intensely right now, and I've noticed a, a kind of a franticness among folks, and especially as I'm the vocation director, that want to talk about that and are concerned about that. And there's a lot of energy behind that, you know, and passion behind that. But I've just noticed that just like evangelization, just like all these other topics that we've brought up, it's like these are things that I've been thinking about for years in seminary and before, and you know, all the time with other priests. And the same thing with this, like, you know, call what you want shortage of priesthood that people see or need for pastoral planning that has other dynamics to just shortage of priests, right? That, oh, we've been talking about this for years and we've been, you know, talking about it in conjunction with evangelization and the need for a move from, or the the recognition of a move from Christendom to more of an apostolic zeal and mission, you know? But I've just noticed that this is hitting people very, it's hitting them like, very hardly, very intensely, but also very quickly. It's almost mm-hmm. like kind of come out of nowhere. Like the rug was just kind of pulled out from under people's feet of realizing, wait, a bunch of guys are just tired. Wait, the presbyter is so small, you know, like even at the chrism mass, it's just like, it's very different than even 10 years ago, than 20 years ago, than 30 years ago. Very, 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 very different. I've experienced it already with people asking about retired priests covering for things and just the recognition of like, there are fewer, you know, this this large mass of retired guys who are are pretty like um, uh, able to you know get around and stuff. They're just they're also aging, right? Mm-hmm. So all that to be said, I've just noticed this kind of frantic franticness surrounding um, this lack of priests, as it appears, right? Um, and I'm just curious. I have some ideas of just kind of how to encourage maybe people or like to stay in front of this question and in front of reality. You know, to stay in front of it with with some reason behind it, not just our feelings driving us. But yeah, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this question that makes people, I think, feel very outcast right now from the experience of being Catholic or just Christian. Sure. Well, um, yeah, I have lots of thoughts. I mean, we can talk about this, like, actually, how many priests do we really need? Mm -hmm. We can talk about this, not in a sense to point fingers, but what has the church been doing to promote vocations for decades and there's been a lot of good work. I mean, people have been, people saw this decades ago. I mean, the whole, the, the foundation of Sarah Clubs, for example. I think we got our first Sarah Club in this diocese back in 1996. Right. And people knew in the 70s, 80s, and 90s that things were shifting radically. Catholic culture uh, among neighborhoods and around parish structures was radically uh, changing. And um, even even back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, High schools were becoming much more regionalized across the nation. And with yeah. the rapid decline of women religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, As we talked about with Father Burns not too long ago. Right. Um, I mean, people knew that things were going to be changing quite a bit. So, 
you're probably hearing a lot of things just being new in, in your office as vocation director. And given the retirements that are going to be coming up in the next couple of years here in this diocese among our clergy, it is becoming a much more pressing topic. But it, it has been one that's been around for a while. Um, one of the challenges that we face here in the Midwest is just the overall population shift. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard Father Scott Hastings in the Archdiocese of Omaha, who's their judicial vicar um, and vicar for clergy, he points out that in 1890, in the year 1890, there were more people in the rural counties of the Archdiocese of Omaha than there are today. Yeah. In 1890. Mm. So, the pioneers that came across the Midwest created homesteads, started family farms, and, large had, families. and had very large families. Um, th- that population lent itself to having train stops and with train stations, and every seven miles, and, and towns everywhere with grocery stores, and and that the population itself started to give rise to all sorts of industries. Yeah, um, and our population has shifted dramatically, and. Uh, I've, I've often had to think, you know, being having been in your shoes as the vocation director, I've had to think about what does the Lord really want for us right now? Mm-hmm. Is the amount of priests that he's giving us, is the amount of seminarians that he's given us really what he's desiring, or at mm-hmm. least that's what he's permitting right now? I think I think there are certain, certain circumstances where we've missed some vocations, and people didn't respond. Maybe perhaps they felt like they never or weren't res- invited. They weren't invited, yeah. or or some were invited, but they didn't say yes, and they felt guilty about that later on in life. Yeah, I've met some of those individuals, um, but nevertheless, you know, we know that God's providential plans are always at work, and the Holy Spirit is always summoning and He's calling forth. Um, and so, for whatever reason, this is what Jesus has permitted. Is that a form of chastisement along the uh, for the church? Mm. To, to be renewed and to refocus and to put our attention more on the Lord than on ourselves? Mm-hmm. Are, are we, is there a chastisement for any past sin of the church, uh, especially given the scandals that we've had to deal with? Mm-hmm. Uh, is this going to bring about a greater purification of the church? And do we still have a lot more work to do in terms of inviting and helping people really understand what is it that God is desiring for your mission in life? Mm-hmm. We could go down any of those roads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, thanks for... That's always... I think that's helpful to hear that, like, oh, there's so many facets to this. Mm-hmm. It's not just as cut, kind of cut and dry as it seems, because when it can feel so cut and dry, I'm just like, well, it, you, like, throw your hands up in the air. Of, well, don't have enough priests. Like, world's going to hell in a handbasket. What are we supposed to do? And it's like, whoa, that's, that's never how... That's never been an apostolic response to the world. Mm-hmm. To Jesus's invitation to evangelize, to receive his own evangelization personally, and then to actually like turn toward the world and recognize, like Second Vatican Council said, according to the signs of the times, what what's the best way? What are the best best methods to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever? It's like it's helpful to see that. Oh, there's all these facets that fill into this. It's not just so kind of black and white of just like we have fewer priests. Fewer priest equals, you know, fewer sacraments. Fewer sacraments equals the church is going to, like, burn to the ground. It's just like, mm-hmm. whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> that's not the case, you know. We started with 12 guys mm-hmm. and the same Holy Spirit, you know, mm-hmm. and the same commissioning from Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and the same sacraments, you know. So that's just the hope. Um, I got all excited about what you said, and then I had some really nice <laughs> little segue guy to kind of kind of move along. Um, well, we were talking about population. We were talking about what the Lord permits. We were talking about have guys responded to the call we were talking about those who didn't respond 
We were talking about chastisement upon the world. Absolutely. Anything ringing a bell, Father? Oh, man, I used that absolutely word again. Gosh, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a long time. Um, yeah, lots of things ringing a bell. I think you bring up really important qu- questions of, like, what is the need? Um, and th- and I think what's this is what's kind of firing me up and has fired me up is that I've been thinking about these things, all these things that you've just said, right? as a seminarian for nine years and as a priest for a couple of years now. So not like none of this is new. Right. And it's like, I, what I've, what I've been kind of excited and happy to speak into the experience with a lot of people who are struggling and suffering as their parishes merge or as there are fewer priests. So that like the things that they've been able to expect daily mass in parishes or in schools, like more frequent and kind of convenient experience of the sacraments. Right. As those things have moved away, I've been able to speak into what a lot of, I think, priests and other people are experiencing when they'll say this line, I didn't sign up for this. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't sign up to be, like, in a, in a presbyterate of, like, 40 guys. I didn't sign up to be, like, sort of, like, almost back to, like, a pioneering day of our diocese where there's one guy in every county. You know, I, I, I didn't sign up to merge parishes. I didn't sign up to, to watch churches be torn down or closed. I, I didn't sign up for this. Mm-hmm. I was at a parish covering mass when the, the, the merger of a neighboring parish was announced in January, and I said... I said, a lot of guys say I didn't sign up for this. And I said, please know that I signed up for this. I literally signed up for this. Like this happened right as I was entering seminary. And the whole time I was in seminary, this is all we talked about, you know, mm-hmm. my silly nickname, like or nickname and kind of joke when I was at Kenrick was I was constantly asking questions that I would preface with, Hey, I'm from a small rural diocese. We just closed like 30 parishes. So mm-hmm. canon law questions. So pastoral theology questions. So the- theological, you know, synthesis question about the sacraments or something like that. And my buddies would make fun of me. They'd say, no way. Well, how many, how many parishes did you merge again? And I sure. say, no, I'm thinking about this stuff. Right. So it's like, I just hope that there can be, um, an encouragement for folks out there to hear that this isn't, bl- I mean, this, this has blindsided the church in some ways, in just the experience of, oh, wait, it's made us wake up. But it's not like right now today, I, I don't think most pastors, most priests aren't as blindsided as as, as some parishioners might feel, mm-hmm. right? And that if it doesn't feel like you're being led very well through it, right, everybody's struggling in their own way, feeling, I didn't sign up for this, what's going on, right? But this isn't something that's so far from our experience of like, concern. Like we've been thinking about this a long time. Yeah. We care a lot about this. Yeah, to any priest or even any laity out there, any religious who are thinking, I didn't sign up for this, you know, I, I would sincerely ask them to take that to prayer, to maybe even go talk to a spiritual director about that, because I find that to be a very immature response. Um, yes, you did sign up for this. Um, and that's not just talking to the priest about what their promises were on their ordination mm-hmm. day. You know, Jesus carried his cross to Calvary, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone who signed up to be a disciple of Jesus signed up to take up your cross and follow after the Savior. Mm. More importantly, you also signed up for an adventure, not knowing what tomorrow brings, because none of us have a crystal ball, and most of us don't have the gift of prophecy, right? Uh, so when you when you embark on a life with Jesus, you sign up for an adventure, and the Holy Spirit is going to guide you and to lead you. And that light will be there, even if you don't know what's three steps down the road. Mm. Um, that's part of the Christian adventure, okay? So someone who gets married, um, wait, wait, my my spouse has cancer 10 years in. I didn't sign up for that. We were supposed to have the perfect little picturesque marriage. Mm. Well, no, you did sign up for this. In good times and in bad, sickness Mm. and in health, I will love you, you know, all the days of my life. Mm. So 
anyone who embarks on a life with Jesus doesn't necessarily know what's coming tomorrow. But they did sign up for kind of a radical call to be in union with Jesus and to be prompted by the Holy Spirit. So all of us signed up for this. Mm. And if and if you say, no, I really didn't sign up for that, okay, well, number one, do you have any faith that the Lord is going to guide you and the rest of the church? And number two, do you actually want to remain in union with him, even if this world doesn't give you the picturesque lifestyle of what you think something should be unfolding as? Mm. Um, and so I, I go back to the narrative of, yeah, here in our diocese with anywhere from 50 to 40, maybe even down to 35 priests in the future. Is that going to be kind of difficult? Yeah. But there's also an adventure into that. Does it look like it's going to be the pioneering days when this diocese was first founded? Yeah, it probably will be. Mm -hmm. And guys were going out on horseback to try and offer the sacraments to any of the pioneers that they could. But there was also something very pure and holy about that. There was apostolic zeal. There was a willingness to go out and, and bring the gospel to others and get formed, form Christian communities in all these different areas so mm-hmm. that the, the message of, of Jesus Christ would ring out across the Midwest mm-hmm. and that uh, this land would be claimed for our Savior. Uh, and I don't say that in sort of some sort of a triumphalistic sort of way, um, but you know, as we've talked about evangelization, the gospel needs to ring forth and people need to know the good news about being in union with Jesus when past or when, you know, our pastor planning ministry 2025, which <laughs> that 25 is coming up sooner than later. Right. When that was announced, remember you as a vocation director, that would have been in like 2015 or something like that when you became vocation director. Remember you encouraging us, asking us this question, what do you think the glory days of this diocese were? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us, I think myself included, it was like, well, the, like the fifties, we built like new churches I found a, a, a newspaper from uh, Bishop Miller's like jubilee of his own Episcopal ordination or his priesthood ordination, mm-hmm. and in the middle of the paper, it had every single thing that was built under his uh, pastoral care. Mm-hmm. Almost every town had a new church or a new rectory or new convent built. Mm-hmm. The brick and mortar era of the church, you know what I mean? And like mm-hmm. a lot of those places, we were looking. I was looking with a few priests, and it's like you just kept clipping like so few of those are still parishes or so few of those churches still around. But you challenge us to say like, no, actually those pioneering days might've been some of the most like, um, heroic, mm-hmm. you know, heroic and also faithful. And you challenge us to think like, okay, maybe if there was a time in the diocese when there were a lot of priests, which it, it's true. We actually had an extremely high rate of, you know, parishioner per priest per capita, whatever in the country we did here in Northwest Iowa at all our, all our schools and all our parishes, it, you said and encouraged us to see, it's like, yeah, it's not like you weren't holy or you couldn't be holy, but it was a lot easier. Not really like it was, it was a lot easier just kind of kick back. Like if you're your pastor in town, like hundred people, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not like going on. I mean, like you could have a beautiful relationship with your, your, your parishioners. The sacramental life could be really beautiful. You could also just kind of kick back, kind of take it easy, you know? Um, so that's been an encouragement for me in the midst of this, that the Lord doesn't give us anything that he's not like giving us the grace to accompany us through. Um, so it's possible to approach like the, something that seems like daunting, mm-hmm. um, with a, with a hope that it's like, okay, if, if the same, if the same Jesus was working in the, the, you know, father, whoever, who was like riding a horse, like 50 miles on a Sunday to like, you know, celebrate mass a few different places, okay, then he can be with me as we're trying to like navigate all of these different uh, kind of tense dynamics together. Right. With the kind of fewer priests that are available. Yeah. 
No, I think that's true. And that's not to minimize the holy uh, religious laity clergy in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, in which the church really seemed to have a big cultural presence and a very large institutional structure. There there was wonderful graces flowing in the midst of all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But why do we have to look back on that with nostalgia to say that that was the apex Mm -hmm. of our diocesan history? What if the glory days are still to come? Mm. You know, on one level, you can say that any day lived in union with Jesus is the glory day. Mm. Any day post-Pentecost in union with the Holy Spirit is the glory day. That anticipates the glorious experience of eternity. Yeah, right. exactly. And any day that we're moving further and further towards the ultimate goal of the entire kingdom of heaven coming to its full fruition mm-hmm. is the glory day. But in terms of evangelization, what if the glory days, you know, in, in terms of those efforts are still to come? And... And what if people will look back and to say things 10 years from now, 20 years from now, had such fire and the gifts of the Holy Spirit were so alive that things really start to just take off and everyone's just filled with a great sense of gratitude. I think it could be really exciting. And yeah. we, need not, we need not limit ourselves to, oh, if it were only like the past. Mm-hmm. I hope this conversation has given just some hope and to recognize that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in the midst of changing dynamics, as we've tried to point out before, that can make one feel quite outcast from the experience of the church that they have known. Let's allow that feeling of outcast to draw us deeper into relationship with, with Christ and his church. Um, Father Shannon, I'm thankful for your uh, wisdom that you always bring from your vast experience. It's good. <laughs> My old age. It's good to be with you, Father. God bless everyone. See ya. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.